the world has 22 new cardinals. Among them are Toronto's Archbishop Thomas Collins, Washington's Donald Wuerl, and New York's Timothy Dolan. The title cardinal is exactly that, a title, but it is a significant one. Cardinals are chosen by the Holy Father to serve as his principal assistants and advisors in the central administration of the church. The word cardinal comes from two Latin words, cardo and cardinis. The best English translation of these is hinge, as in the movable joint or mechanism that serves as a juncture for two opposing forces, such as a door, gate, or lid that swings as it opens and closes. The work of a hinge is to bring about harmony between the two forces that it hinges. Imagine a hinge that allows a door to hang upon its frame. In the same way, cardinals facilitate an easy relationship between the theological and governmental roles of the hierarchy of the church. The role of the College of Cardinals remains a pivotal one in the church of our time. The color of cardinals is red, symbolizing the blood shed by martyrs and witnesses for the faith. This is because at the heart of a cardinal's mission is to give public, clear witness to the faith. At a previous consistory of cardinals, Pope Benedict said that the special communion and affection that bonds these new cardinals to the Pope makes them his unique and precious cooperators in the lofty mandate to tend his sheep, which Christ entrusted to Peter in order to unite peoples with the solicitude of Christ's love. We congratulate all our cardinal designates and may the Lord bless them with good health, courage and peace of mind and heart as their responsibilities increase for the Universal Church. May they never lose the common touch that endeared them to people. My name is Pedro Guevara Man and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to a new season of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and with me is Chris Dimitrenko. Chris, can you believe that we're starting year five of Salt and Light Radio? Yeah, I can't really believe <laughs> I it. I know, the, it's amazing. It feels like at least 10 years. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. But in a good way, thank you. Mm, mm-hmm. Now, well, to kick off this new season, we have our usual segments, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos, Sheridan with our Diocesan Update, and Jillian Cantor will be with us to tell us what her kids taught her this week. And Chris, as you know, you well know, you're very humble, I know, but yours is the Catholic news segment that everyone looks forward to. So what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, Well, um, people can look forward to uh, talking about the big abuse conference that took place in Rome this past week. Mm -hmm. Really significant international conference with some big players there. Um, Also, uh, there's been some initial confirmation for a second papal visit this year. We all know the Pope's going to Mm -hmm. Mexico and Cuba, but it looks like there's another country on the list for him. And uh, some disturbing events have been taking place in Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that. Okay, good. So details uh, on all those stories coming right up. Now, Chris, um, do you, when you read fiction... Do you enjoy... I don't really read fiction. Really? Okay, so no. then my question, my, I guess I was going to ask you if you ever get into uh, uh, fiction books that, that, that deal with travel or historical fiction. So it's kind of fictionalized, but it's based on real historical or places. 
I suppose I'd have to answer no. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you might be interested then because the we're going to be uh, talking with uh, author Lorraine Shellstad about her book, The Cameo. And it's a fascinating little story that takes us on a journey with a young Anglican woman traveling through Italy at the end of the 19th century. And, and it's interesting. I mean, I liked it because it's travel and you get to learn about these sites that she visits. So it's kind of like a, almost like a travel guide. But at the same ah. time, it's a fictionalized story but it's also based in the context of other historical things that were happening at the time. So oh, okay. So, uh, so maybe for you, if you're interested in nonfiction, this is the kind of fiction that you'd like. I see. Okay, well, I'll, I'll see I don't know. Y you'll have to listen mm -hmm. in. Um, and our featured artist of the week is Marcel Dion. He's been doing ministry in Canada for years and years. Um, and currently, he's running a seminar titled Into the Deep about the universal call to holiness as John Paul II explored in Novo Millenio Inuente. Now, those two interviews will be in our second half hour, but we're going to begin with Marcel Dion's The Lord is Me. The Lord is near to all who call, who call upon His name. That was Marcel Dion with The Lord Is Near, based on Psalm 145 from his album, Sing a New Psalm. We're going to be speaking with Marcel in the second half of the program. And in about 15 minutes, what our kids teach us with Jillian Cantor. But first, Chris um, is still here. And so tell us about this uh, big conference that took place in the Vatican. Well, it's really been the big news this past week. Out of Rome was this four-day symposium on the sex abuse crisis. Mm -hmm. It was called Towards Healing and Renewal, and it has Vatican support. 
a hundred bishops and religious superiors along with other child protection experts were there so it's really there hasn't really been anything on this scale and the conference coincides with the Vatican's request that every bishops conference around the world have protocols to properly deal with allegations of sexual abuse so this conference will you know help those conferences who don't have this yet reach that goal now two highlights from that conference first of all Monsignor Charles Chicluna gave a speech. Now, he works for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith as basically the top prosecutor for sex abuse cases. And he gave a very strong address, and he stressed a number of points. First of all, the Catholic officials have a duty to cooperate with state authorities, and also that a, a deadly culture of silence, or omerta, is in itself wrong and unjust. Now, omerta is a reference to a code of silence about crimes of the mafia. Mm -hmm. So it's particular language that we haven't really heard the church speak about. It's really that nefarious. It's like the mafia. Um, and finally, he also called for accountability for bishops who fail to take appropriate actions when dealing with allegations. Now, some people think that we don't have enough tools in canon law to be able to do that. And he says that we do have the existing tools to hold bishops to account when they fail in this regard. We just need to make better use of them. And a second uh, highlight from this conference was a penitential liturgy, and that was actually led by Cardinal Mark Ouellette, the head of the Congregation for Bishops. And, uh, and he apologized for the manner in which, uh, in places around the world, um, church leaders did not prevent abusers from uh, from abusing again, and they were allowed to remain in ministry. And he, once again, on behalf of the church, asked uh, asked for for forgiveness from victims and apologized mm -hmm. to them. Now, turning to something on a on a lighter note, um, back last year, no, I don't know if you remember, but the Prime Minister of Lebanon invited the Pope uh, to come to his country. Yes. It was when the yeah, Prime Minister went. Uh, to visit the Pope in the Vatican. Yes. Well, the head of Catholics in the Holy Land is, has essentially confirmed this trip, and he has said that they are expecting the Pope to come this fall. Wow. And the reason he'll be coming is, uh, is to present a document on the Church in the Middle East. The document is, is essentially the Pope's response to the Synod of Bishops on the Middle East that took place in the Vatican back in 2010. All the leaders of the Middle mm. East came to the Vatican. And this is the Pope's response. Now, it's the Pope's third trip to the Middle East. Everyone knows he went to Israel, Jordan, and the Palestinian territories in 2009. And also he went to Cyprus. I think mm -hmm. that was 2010. That's mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. the Middle East. It and it will only be his second international trip of 2010. He, he's going, of course, to Mexico and Cuba right. in March. Now, the Vatican has said only said that the trip is under consideration, so we haven't technically heard right. from the Vatican yet. Oh, is it the first time that a Holy Father would go to Lebanon? I don't think yeah. so. I think John Paul II went, went. Yeah, I'm but not sure. I'm not too sure about yeah, that. Yeah, we should find out. And uh, last bit of news, Pedro. Yeah. Um, for the first time, a church in the Holy Land has been the target of what's called price tag vandalism. Hmm. And it's got nothing to do with, you know, a, an actual price tag. But if you follow the news from Israel, you might have heard about these price tag incidents. And it includes vandalism on mosques and other Arab property. And it really made the news in December when an ancient mosque in Jerusalem was lit on fire and sprayed with a Star of David, a hateful language in Hebrew, and the words price tag. Now it's understood that for Israeli extremists, the price tag is retribution against the, the Arab population for things that they consider unjust. But it's also intended to punish their own government, the Israeli government, 
for policies limiting the expansion of Israeli settlements. So it's an attempt to destabilize the country. So really everyone suffers. Now this week a monastery in Jerusalem was defiled with an anti-Christian message. Now the Monastery of the Cross, it's called, it marks the place where the tree was cut to make the cross of Christ. It's run by the Greek Orthodox Church and it's a very old monastery going back to the 11th century. Now the vandals, they don't know who they are, damaged cars and wrote death to Christians on the walls outside in Hebrew. Hmm. Now it's really disturbing because it's rare to see an attack against a Christian shrine in Israel and it's unclear exactly why this shrine was targeted. Yeah, that's a little disturbing. Usually mm -hmm. you think that it's more of a, 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 a attacks against Arabs and some Arabs just happen to be Christians, but this looks like it's a very specific attack to Christians. It's it's hard to say exactly what what the reason mm. is, but it's it's unfortunately it seems that this these price tag incidents keep on proliferating. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. Krista Matrenko, our Salt and Light Radio News producer. If you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. To get some handy parenting tips, stay tuned, because coming up is Jillian Cantor with what her kids taught her this week. But before that... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Pedro, first show of the new year. First show of season five. Of I know, season it's five, amazing. that's fantastic. It's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, so who's our saint to, to celebrate this important show. All right, uh, we're going to highlight uh, a saint whose feast day actually we celebrated this past week okay. on February the 8th, but th this story is, is quite something, so yeah. I, I wanted to share it. Um, Africa's first saint from saint Sudan, St. Josephine Bakita, exactly. Yes. So Bakita was born in a village in the west part of Darfur, which is uh, Sudan. Yeah. Her father was the brother of a tribal chief. Mm -hmm. um, when she was at the age of seven, uh, she was kidnapped by Arab slave tra uh, slave traders. Yeah. And over eight years, uh, kind of crazy to think about, she was sold five times wow. in the slave market. Wow. So with all that, the trauma of her abduction, it caused her to forget her own name. Can you imagine wow. that? Yeah. And the name we know her by is um, is a conjunction. It's a compound of the name given to her by uh, slavers. So Bikita uh, is an Arabic word for lucky. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And the Christian name she took uh, when she was an adult, um, we know as Josephine. Uh -huh. As a matter of fact, um, she was forcibly converted to Islam. Uh -huh. So I don't know if ma many people know that, but she was forcibly converted to Islam against her will. Uh -huh. So as a slave, um, you know, you can just imagine she suffered um, much brutality uh, when she was held captive. Now, one of her owner's sons beat her so badly that um, she actually spent a month unable to move from a straw bed. So when she looks back on that time, she remembers the terrifying memory um, of her fourth owner, who, as a matter of fact, was an army officer. Hmm. Um, and what he did was this a little grueling. Um, he marked her as his, like personal possession, and he did that with tattoos. Mm. And more than 60 patterns were cut into her breasts. They were cut into her belly as well as her arms. So her final owner was an Italian diplomat. Um, he and a friend, Augusto Michieli, brought her to Italy where she ended up becoming a nanny for one of the daughters. Mm -hmm. So um, 
when the diplomat and his friend left uh, Italy to go on business, they left her in the custody of Canosian sisters. Uh-huh. They're based in Venice. Yeah. Um, while they moved away. And in 1890, she was baptized at, um, at her own will. Uh-huh. And she took on the Christian name Giuseppina Margareta. Right. So when the owners came back to collect her, she didn't want to leave. Huh. So um, Signora Michieli tried to force the issue. But um, Bakita and the daughter that uh, St. Josephine Bakita was taking care of, um, you know, had attended in Venice. They complained to the authorities about this whole issue. Like, she didn't want to go. Right. So an Italian court ruled that since Sudan had, had outlawed slavery before her birth, um, and since Italian, Italian law back then in the day, they didn't recognize slavery. Right. It was discovered that, that Bikita was never was, in, she's was never free. a slave. Wow. She's free. So she's reached the age of majority. She can make her own decisions. Um, she chose to remain with the sisters. Uh-huh. Wow. So she joined the sisters permanently in 1896. Uh-huh. Um, she was there for 45 years in northern Italy. Um, in her last days, her mind was driven back to the years of her slavery. Mm-hmm. So um, that must have been hard for her. Um, Giuseppina, she died uh, in February the 8th, February 8th, 1947. Right. And um, the process for her canonization began in 1959. On December 1st, 1978, late Pope John Paul II declared her venerable. Mm-hmm. She was declared blessed in 92. And... Um, on October the 1st, 2000, she was canonized and became St. Josephine Bikita. That's good. Thank you. I didn't know. There's so many things about her that I didn't know. Thank you, Andrew. I, uh, anyway, thank you, uh, St. Josephine Bikita, feast day, February 8th. Andrew Santos is our saint expert. In about five minutes, what's happening across our country, so stay tuned. I'm Rosanna Reverso, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. My name is Pedro. You can find Salt and Light on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Salt and Light. You can read our blog at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And now it's time for... What Our Kids Teach Us with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome to our fifth season of Salt and Light Radio. Well, hello, Pedro. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. And you're doing well? You've learned something from your kids this week? Mm, well, yes. <laughs> Every day I learn something from them. Good. Um, yeah, I guess what I want to focus on today, though, the lesson that is standing out is that um, as much as I try as a mummy to make certain events or days special, <clears throat> it, there's no such thing <laughs> as making special days. It's something that kids do on their own. And I feel like the more I try to enforce it, like today is going to be the most amazing special day, then the more it backfires and becomes a terrible day. <laughs> because of and it. And that somehow the special days happen on their own time. Um, as yeah, just Those are the days that you look back on and you're like, how did that become a perfect day? I don't know, but it was, and I'm glad. So you're, you're basically telling parents to not have expectations? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It started, well, yeah, I've been thinking about this for a while, but um, we had Joseph's third birthday. It was a, a few, or a couple of months ago, actually. Yeah. Um, and he and Henry had been sick around that time, but I thought they were on the mend and was hoping that for his birthday, at least, he would be feeling better. 
Um, and his one request for his birthday, which he'd been telling me for a long time, was that he wanted to have restaurant food. He wanted to go to a restaurant. Okay. And he wanted to have chocolate milk, a cheeseburger, and french fries. And so we That's tried to good. make that happen, even though we knew that they weren't feeling that well. Uh, and we went to this restaurant, and I guess we didn't put a lot of pressure on him to eat his supper. Uh-huh. It was just good enough for him that he was there and that we ordered those things, and they were sitting in front of him. Right. But he couldn't, he couldn't eat it. He didn't feel well, so we just packed it all up and took it home. And then mm. we had his birthday cupcakes when we got home. And we sang him, him happy birthday, and he blew out his candles, and then he went to play. And I said, Joseph, do you want a birthday cupcake? Uh, no, thank you. He hmm. just couldn't do it. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't feeling well. And so this day, his third birthday that we tried to make so special, ended up being just kind of another day. Mm-hmm. But then there are those days where you think there's nothing extraordinary happening, but it ends up that there is. Um, an exciting news, David and I learned that we are expecting our third child. And when we uh, told Joseph and Henry, as we were about to tell them, I was thinking, oh, I should have done something. I should have like made cupcakes or made this into a party. Like we're telling them that they're going to have another baby brother or a baby sister. Um, but instead, there was no time for that. We just told them. And Joseph himself made it special in his reaction to it. Like he just seemed to understand what this meant and he gave me a big hug and he said mommy i'm hugging you but i'm also hugging the baby and that makes the baby so happy Hmm. and that just in that one sentence made that whole day that whole moment the most special and i couldn't have possibly planned anything better so it's just it's in them i think it's in our children to to find those moments um, and make them meaningful and we can't really force it upon them, or we can't do anything that's going to, to, um, I don't know, we, to, to make those moments that they do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. So you're not, you're not saying don't plan. You're just saying maybe lower your expectations yeah, and, and be I flexible. So. Sometimes we have to yeah. be flexible as parents. Wow, you kind of made me a little emotional there <laughs> with this story. <laughs> but it's so true that kids have a, an ability to... Uh, to really focus on, on what's important, and, mm-hmm. and that helps us focus on what's important, and maybe it's not the cupcakes. No, but, I mean, in years, else, yeah. we won't remember that we may or may not have had cupcakes on that day, but we will remember what Joseph said and his reaction. Absolutely. And, yeah, Absolutely. that's the special part. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you very much, Jill. That's, that's a great lesson. I, I hope we should start having people write us back. If you have any comments about parenting, write to us at, at uh, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Anyway, thank you. If you have you. any advice for Jillian, yes. please write. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please write. Okay, Jillian, thank you very much. Congratulations. Thank and, you very uh, much. And we'll talk to you in about a month. Okay. <laughs> Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace, and she's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph and Henry and the baby to come. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. You can podcast our show at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, or you can also download it off iTunes. And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. So as you've already heard, we've got a consistory uh, coming yes. up next weekend, Saturday, uh-huh. the February the twenty, uh, sorry, February the eighteenth, yes, and Sunday the nineteenth in Rome at the Vatican. And this year is very special because it includes Archbishop uh, Thomas Collins of Toronto, uh, who will become Canada's 16th Cardinal. Wow. So that's yay for us! Yeah. Yes. 
And we also have Cardinal Designate Dolan yes, from of New York. New York. Yes. yes. And uh, Salt and Light will bring you live coverage of the consistory, the Mass with the new Cardinals. Uh-huh. And we've even arranged to bring you a special Mass celebrated by Cardinal Designate Collins, uh-huh. direct from the Vatican Crypt. Yes. And uh, if you're not able to to watch us on our cable network, you can watch all of that live online. We'll be live streaming everything uh-huh. from our website. So just check out saltandlighttv.org slash live. We're also going to be airing a variety of programs related to the consistory next week, just prior to and uh, following the events at the Vatican. And our coverage is going to include a witness episode with um, Collins and Dolan. So that's... Mm-hmm. So those are two separate interviews, right? Yes, one with Archbishop Collins and one with Archbishop exactly. Dolan. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And uh, and then Father Thomas Rosica, who's our CEO of Salt and Light, he's going to be in Rome all week filing uh, stories daily from the Vatican. He's got Excellent. a special production crew that's going to be down there. So um, and, and that's all because he's actually accompanying Cardinal Collins and the official uh, Toronto delegation as they go down. So it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be lots of good stuff coming. And you can check out all of that stuff. Um, you can see our website for broadcast details and that's at sultanlighttv.org slash schedule uh-huh. and of course we're going to be tweeting and blogging and posting updates on Facebook so you'll get everything on your news free and, uh, and we'll also be posting videos and images on our album so stay connected with everything by liking us on Facebook yep. or following us on Twitter or subscribing to our RSS feed Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so that's it for this week, but it's a big week. Yeah, I know. I guess uh, there are things happening across the country, but this is really important for Canada, not just for Toronto. I know I can almost hear the people in Vancouver saying, ah, Toronto, but Canada has three cardinals traditionally, Toronto, Quebec City, and Montreal. Yes. And so now we have... uh, It's an honor for the whole country. It's an honor for the whole country, absolutely. And it's not... I mean, we're also celebrating, like I mentioned in my opening commentary, Timothy Dolan in New York, uh, Cardinal Whirl in Washington. I mean, there's 22 new cardinals, so that's uh, that's a new blessing for the whole church. Mm -hmm. So we might be focusing on the Canadian connection, but you can tune in and watch these events to celebrate all these new cardinals and so again very easy saltandlighttv.org you can check our live coverage you can check a lot of the coverage that will be on demand as well and the schedule is there so february 18th and 19th and leading up to that week you're looking at me i'm I'm sure i'm 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 getting it all right (laughs) so if i get it wrong but leading up to that week on tv perspectives we'll be having live coverage and and updates and news updates and stuff on our blog so lots of fun 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 things fun consistories there we go we make consistories fun Uh, thank you very much sheridan Uh, coming up in our second half hour a chat with author Lorraine Shellstad about her book, The Cameo. And Marcel Dion will be teaching us how we can set out into the deep. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio Part 2. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. Captain Marsh returns from World War II and leases a house in the English countryside. A mysterious cameo brooch is found in the house, and while searching for the owner, the captain is led to a story of a young girl visiting Italy in the 19th century. As he reads her story, her search for love and truth change his life too. 
That's a very quick summary of the cameo. And author Lorraine Shellstad joins us now on the phone from her home near Vancouver. Lorraine, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you, Pedro. So it's a real privilege to to be on your program. No, it's great to have you. So um, f- fascinating read. Why, uh, other than the fact that you w- want to tell stories, why did you write this particular story? Mm-hmm. Well, I got the idea for this story when uh, I was moving from Calgary to Vancouver, and mm-hmm. a friend visited me. And of course, my house was, my condo was empty, and I was obviously moving. And right. he uh, had, he told me that he had just read about a uh, a law case in England that happened years ago, and it was about uh, that a brooch had been found uh-huh. in a in a house that had just been leased. And then a valuable brooch, actually. And they, um, then there was a court case over who the owner was. And I just commented that would make a good story. Yeah. So that's where the the story originally came from. Because after I moved and had more time to do something about it, I thought I'd always wanted to write a book. And so I just started to write it down just for fun. Yeah. And um, what they say about books, uh, the story growing on its own, really it's true. turned out to be true. Yes. Yeah. Now, I know that you also traveled I- throughout Italy I- when you were younger. So how much of that part of the story is based on your experiences traveling well, through Italy? Well, uh, the setting is Montepulciano, where I spent a, a, a short time, really. And yeah. I didn't, none of the experiences that I had really happened to me none of the experiences and none of the story happened to me in that town right but the the setting like the the places that i describe are i I think very close to what really is there right but the people of course don't exist there at all of course the personal experience probably came more from my conversion story the questions that i had about the church are the ones that the heroine has Okay, okay, because I was going to ask you that because mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence that you chose Claire to be uh, an Anglican. Right, yeah. So is, is, were you an Anglican as well? I, I was a bit of, I was everything along the way, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, my mom was uh, originally Catholic, but she married a non-Catholic, and in those days it, it was sort of, that was the end, in a way, and it, right. we, were, we didn't, I, where I grew up, there, there weren't many Catholic churches. It was really a Bible uh-huh. belt of Alberta, and um, so I went to United Church as a child. My mother right. took me, and um, then I became a Baptist later on, and I was in an a interdenominational evangelical mm-hmm. mission, mm-hmm. and uh, went to a Toronto Bible College actually it was then, and now oh, it's Ontario really? Bible College yeah. in Toronto. And um, so interdenominational in a way, but I was quite taken with um, some Anglicans that I met along the way, right? Both there and in the mission, in the mission I was with uh-huh. after that, and so I was quite drawn to the liturgy of the Anglican Church too, right? And so I did join the Anglican Church, right? Now, did time. you? Yeah. Did you? Was it your hope in writing the story, or at some point in the writing of the story, that this could be a good opportunity to um, to teach people some basic things about Catholicism? Yes, yes, that that was one of my aims, other than just having a story. Yeah. In, in a sort of a genre that I like, you know, the the romantic 
time in the Victorian times. Yes, yes. Being a yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I love the fact that was we were talking about it earlier in the program, um, and I was saying that it, I didn't know exactly what genre it is, but so because there's a little bit of a travel element that I like the fact that you travel with Claire and you see the places that she travels to. So there's a little bit of like a travel guide, but mm -hmm. it's also historical in the sense that it's, even though the characters are not historical, it takes place in the context of, of real, you know, some events that really happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, so there's a bit of, uh, a bit of that inserting the fiction in kind of the, r the real world that I, mm -hmm. that I could, uh, you know, and I could kind of even picture it as a movie or on TV or something. Uh, because I it's can too, but because <laughs> it's so visual because because you know you you go to a particular church and yeah. and she sees the painting or the statue mm -hmm. um and it's a great way to without kind of beating people over the head about what the catholics believe about mary you've managed to explain a lot of things about what catholics be believe about. i mean it's not a coincidence that the cameo that the brooch is a brooch of mary right mm -hmm. Now, a lot of that is reflecting kind of the, the, you said the questions that you were asking about the Catholic Church? Right, yeah. I mean, uh, talk about, you know, deep theolo theological questions. They don't often come up in mm -hmm. uh, when you're speaking to uh, others, uh, yeah, other Christians. Right. And those are the questions. The thing that, that bothered me probably most was the beliefs about Mary. Right. And, um, yeah, that, that's... Did you and, and I've all those uh, questions that were given to the that were in the story were actually questions and problems that I have things that actually have been said to me by others. Yeah. Even now, yeah. Now, uh, did you again? I, I I don't know how much of this kind of happened uh, organically or how much was planned, but so you have two characters who are not Catholic, the Reverend, who mm -hmm. seems very open, and eventually he does become a catholic mm -hmm. but he's he's an anglican i think i remember and then you mm -hmm. have mr fillmore who's who's not quite um uh as taken with <laughs> with the catholics <laughs> believe so was that important also to have kind of the, the two views to show how i mean like i didn't feel it was strained it just kind of seemed natural but it was did uh. you did you kind of do that on purpose to to show the different well, shades of possibilities well i don't know what i did on purpose because i said it the story just developed as i as i started to tell it but yeah. because i came from an evangelical background i felt and have spent a lot of time with e friends you know that i still have mm -hmm. who are evangelical christians and so i i thought i knew how they think a little bit yeah, and in, in in Victorian times, I think it was even more pronounced than today, of course. But yeah, no, and that was one thing that was fascinating for me to see. Like, really, in Victorian times, that's what people thought, because we're so. I mean, I grew up after Vatican II, so um, yeah. Do, do and I joined the church after Vatican II, so right. So we I, take I a lot of things that for granted. That was a bit uh, something I, that was a bit, bit of an unknown to me. So yeah. I, I had to do a little research on that. But right. Now, do you it's not too wrong. <laughs> do, do you think that this is, if we were to evangelize or teach people about the Catholic faith, that maybe this is one of the best ways to do it in the context of a non-threatening, non-fiction love story where it just happen, kind of happens. We're focused. I'm, I'm more interested in Claire and whether she's going to mm -hmm. fall in love or not and not really, but I'm learning about some mm -hmm. basic things about the... Do you think that that's an effective way to evangelize? Well, I think it's one way of, out of many, probably. I mean, God uses many ways t to bring people to himself right. and to the church, doesn't he? So, you know, I, I think it's another way that maybe we aren't using as much as we could. Yeah. And um, I felt that although there, you walk into an evangelical Christian bookstore and there are many, many stories 
books of, of this nature about Christianity mm-hmm. and on the Protestant side, but not many on the Catholic side. And it's once very I, true. I was yeah. at uh, a session where um, we, uh, women, uh, women actually, and they they were asked what their favorite book was, and and a few answered books like Eat, Pray, Love, which is yeah. you know a good enough book to read. I'm not saying a person shouldn't read it, but it sort of bothered me that there weren't nice books for Catholics to read about about their own beliefs and and that would help them as well. So it wasn't just evangelical, evangelizing, sorry. No, that's true. And it's true. When we think of Catholic fiction, we, you know, like I've I've interviewed interviewed a few Catholic authors who are writing Mm -hmm. Catholic fiction, and they're far in between. I mean, they're they're not very many. So Mm -hmm. uh, are you working on anything new? Well, I have a few that I'm working on, but I haven't really focused on one, and I'd I need to do that, I guess, because uh, yeah, you I have some ideas out there, but I haven't really Good. you know, done it too seriously since. Well, you should. Um, if people are interested in, 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 in uh, checking out your book, sh- mm-hmm. I know that people can buy it off Amazon.com. It's available also uh, for a download for the Kindle. Where else can they go? Uh, well, you can order um, directly from Create Space. Uh-huh. Uh, but probably Amazon.com or Amazon.ca is is maybe is, is the, a better the place easiest to do way. it. Yeah, it, uh, people have ordered from me, but the the because of the shipping cost, it's probably better for them to order from Amazon. Really. Okay. Good. And Create Space is the publisher. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the, a website on our site. Okay. The cameo.vpweb.ca. Mm-hmm. And then they all the information is there. They can read about the book, yes. and they can also find out how to order. And if you're in the Vancouver area, I have places where you can buy the book in this area. Okay, so if but you're in the Vancouver area. No, I don't have anything in other places Okay, yet. well, that's good to know. So thank you very much, Lorraine. It's been great speaking to you, and, and thank you for sending us the book. It was a, a, a really good read. Both my wife and I read it. Um, so uh, thank you for sharing your a little bit of your life and your ideas and your story with us. Thank you very much, Pedro. It's been a real pleasure. Yes, you're welcome. Lorraine Shellstad is she's a retired English teacher, and she spends her time writing, doing photography, and reading about the church, about church history. And you can find out more about the book and her work at thecameo.vpweb.ca. We're going to put that link on our site so that you can find it easily. And as we said, you can also purchase The Cameo directly from Amazon.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Marcel Dion with Jesus We Trust in You. Jesus our God Jesus our Savior Jesus our Lord We place our trust in You Jesus our God Jesus our Jesus, we trust in you. 
Marcel Dion with Jesus We Trust in You, a song that he co-wrote with Matt and Tim Devine. The mission of Marcel Dion's Magnificat is to encourage, equip, and enable the laity to live the fullness of the Christian life by striving for the perfection of charity. Marcel and his wife Linda live a lay contemplative life, and they believe that they're also called to share the fruit of their life with others, and they do this through schools of formation, seminars, parish missions, retreats, and by leading corporate Eucharistic worship. I met Marcel many years ago, and I am delighted that finally we can welcome him as a Salt and Light Radio featured guest. Marcel, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you so much, Pedro. No, we could spend probably two hours talking about all kinds of stuff, but let's really focus on Novo Millenio. this This apostolic letter that you read one day and it changed your life. Why, Why is it so significant? Well, significant on a number of, of levels. One of them was it, it, it basically is the fruit of, if you will, 
um, the celebration, the universal celebration of the Great Jubilee of the year 2000. Uh-huh. And so um, we're looking at a letter that the Blessed John Paul II wrote at the close of this, what he calls an intense year of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, he says it's impossible to measure the amount of grace, that's, this river of grace that's been poured into the Church over the course of this year. Right. But as this is drawing to a close, let's ask ourselves, what is the Holy Spirit? What's the Spirit saying to the Church? And then he says, you know, I, I just feel a need to write to you and to share with you uh, what, I, what he believes as the Vicar of Christ, right, mm-hmm. in his Petrine office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sharing with us what he believes the Spirit is saying to the Church. Then he goes on to, to say, basically, look, if now that we've celebrated the Jubilee, we need to look to the future. And where are we going with this? And mm-hmm. how are we going to implement, in very practical ways, the grace of the Jubilee, of this mm-hmm. great Jubilee? Mm-hmm. And then he says, so um, before I talk, before we get into the actual planning of this, he says it's really important that what we propose be rooted in prayer and contemplation. Right. And then he says, and I want to I present you with seven pastoral priorities that I believe have been brought to light through the grace of the Jubilee. And then he maps out those, those seven pastoral okay. priorities yeah. And basically he's saying these priorities should be a guide for us, an anchor, if you will, to, for us in terms of what we do in terms of our pastoral initiatives right. to keep moving, um, moving the Church towards uh, ongoing renewal. He says okay. what awaits us is this exciting work of pastoral revitalization. Okay, I want you to, uh, to, to tell us what the seven are, but before that, so... So he's basically, like you said, kind of mapping out for us. These, these are the guidelines, or this is what I suggest, or this is what the Holy Spirit is, is guiding us. Right. So it's like a map, basically. Yes. He's spelling yeah, it and, out. And the whole thing of priorities, you know, it, he, you know, when you think of Christ's own words in Matthew 6.33, he puts it really succinctly, right? Uh-huh. Seek first the kingdom, right. and everything else will be added. Right. So in other words, if we put first things first, you know, the second and third and the fourth things all fall into place. Okay, so so what are they then? <laughs> okay, <laughs> the seven and, uh, just one other thing, yeah, yeah. Pedro, if you don't mind. No. So the, the Holy Father mentions that it's really important that we have these priorities because we live in a culture that's characterized by activity. Uh-huh. And he says it's really important that we learn to be before we learn to do. And he says, in that context, we should keep in mind, be, be sobered, if you will, by Jesus' own reproof of Martha, you know, who said, uh, Martha, Martha, you know, you're anxious about many yeah. things. There is one thing that is needful, right. you know? And so he says, basically he's saying, look, we're going to be doing something for sure. We need to make plans and do stuff. Yeah. But we need, whatever we're going to do needs to reflect and be prioritized according to these uh, these priorities. Yeah, okay. So the first of which is the universal call to holiness. Uh-huh. So he's saying, I, I'm paraphrasing, there's there's so much... Uh, yeah, I fact, know, and you probably you don't know, have time the, to explain these it. These seminars just... are basically taking the heart and soul of Nova Millennio, this, this apostolic letter, and trying to... Um, 
you know, articulated in layman's terms, if you so will. So tell you, you what, know? why don't you just list the seven, don't explain sure. them, because I want also people to be intrigued enough to take your seminar. <laughs> okay, great. So, right, so the, here they are, the seven priorities in order of importance. Yeah. The first is the universal call to holiness. Uh-huh. The second is prayer, a yeah. life of deep prayer. The third is the Eucharist. The fourth is called... Uh, it refers to reconciliation or the sacrament yeah. of reconciliation. The fifth is the primacy of grace. Okay. Number six is listening to the word, referring to getting deeply immersed in scripture. Huh. And the seventh is proclaiming the word. Interesting. So, and you said that, so in that order of priority, so you can't kind of get to proclaiming the word unless you've spend time on the others first. Yeah, and that's that's the beautiful thing about it. Here we're talking about arguably one if not the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's evangelized and catechized millions worldwide throughout the time of his pontificate. Yeah. And his writings will continue to influence the church for years to come, right? right? So here's this pope that has ushered in the new evangelization. This you know, that's been his clarion call, right, throughout his, his, his pontificate. Yeah. And here he, is, here he lists proclaiming the word, which is what we jump to right away. Yeah. Right, when we talk new evangelizing, what does that mean? Oh, I've got I to gotta be evangelizing yeah. and proclaiming the word. And he's saying, yeah, we need to do that. But our, essentially what he's saying is our, new, our evangelization efforts will not be as fruitful as they can be if we don't respect the right order right. Uh, of these priorities, which mm-hmm. essentially are spiritual realities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything has to be rooted in the right... Uh, right. The right priorities, And one I guess. Yeah. Uh, flows from the other, like builds on the other, and, and they're, yeah. all, they're all interconnected, they're all interrelated, but it's really important that we have them in... We've, you know, you need to build a foundation of a home before you erect the walls. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to get the wiring in before you gyp rock, you know? Like... You can't ignore uh, a certain sequence of priorities mm-hmm. without, uh, you know, serious consequences. Yeah. Now, you you and your wife have been living this. You're not just preaching about it. You're living it, so it works. We're yeah. We're <laughs> certainly endeavoring to, <laughs> uh, by the grace of God. Yes, we we've made some really. Um, we've tried to order our lives based on these. Priorities and and the apostolate, if you will, that flows from it, uh, also you know, and it's, that's essentially what he says in in the letter itself is like you know all of our pastoral works and and all of our um, there's an even quote I'm paraphrasing here, but something even uh, in the call to holiness, for example, that all of our pastoral efforts and even our efforts in our family life need to be rooted in this and ordered in this way. You're not saying that this is only for people who want to, I mean, to live a contemplative life, that's for everyone. You can have a job and a family and and be busy with the busyness of life and still manage to make all this work in your life. It has to be. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not reasonable to suppose that God would call us to something that it's impossible for us to respond to right. or to live out. And ironically, yeah. since our return from New Brunswick, 
the Lord has plunked us right in the, middle in the, of the city. heart of the yeah. city. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we've been endeavoring to obviously keep living this life yeah. and to keep. Okay. Uh, so there's a contemplative dimension, and I look different. You know, if you're raising a big family, a small family, if you're right. single, of if course. you're retired, of course. But and that's part of you know the grace of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God to show us okay well how how do I respond to this? how do okay. I respond to this at this point in my life and in my circumstances right and I guess part of the seminar is is to to show people or to teach them how they can make this work in their own lives um, very much so so there is no seminar coming up anytime soon but if people want to find out more they can email you yes that would be terrific so Marcel at magnificatministries.ca right we're gonna post that on our on our website as well but you can also uh find more information about magnificent ministries you have a youtube channel and there's a little video there that explains what the seminars are about and all that right. so that's youtube.com slash user slash magnificent ministries and again we'll post that on our site marcel it's been great talking to you likewise um, we need to see each other my friend god willing yeah so we'll do that next before time i'm long. in ottawa yeah for sure okay so take it easy and hello to linda thank you so much pedro okay god bless, bless you Bye. That was Marcel Dion of Magnificat Ministries. Uh, again, you can email him at marcel at magnificatministries.ca if you're interested in learning more about his Into the Deep seminars. And if you're interested in Novo Millennio Inuente, that wonderful apostolic letter, you just go to vatican.va and do a search and you should be able to, to find it there. Here now is Marcel Dion with All Glory. Before the foundation of the Father, you chose us in Christ To be your adopted ones Your daughters and sons Such is the richness of your grace Which you have lavished on us That we might live To the praise of your glory listening to Marcel Dion with All Glory from his album of the same title. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light radio programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. You can learn all about Salt and Light TV and all that we do at saltandlighttv.org. Follow us on Twitter at Salt and Light TV and go on Facebook and like us. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. We cannot do our work without your support. So thank you. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been Salt and Light Radio. Father, you so love the world. You so love You sent your own beloved Son. That all who believe in Him forever might live. For He did not come to ransom for he all. Gave his life, and through him you give us the power to become children of God. Through him, with him, in him.
Spirit, all the 